The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. We often do this weird blend or or wonderful blend, depending on your perspective of of ancient practices and sort of new ways of putting stuff together here at Artisan Church. Doing things like standing for the gospel reading and and those things are kind of pieces we like to incorporate occasionally. But for those who have been around for a few weeks, we've been going through this season of Epiphany. And those who are here for the first, this uh, is the final Sunday of that season. And in the Christian calendar, it's the season that starts on January 6th. Um, when the wise men, the Magi, show up and it's revealed for the first time to the world because these are Gentiles, un-Jewish people showing up and realizing, you know, bowing down in worship and adoration, realizing that God has entered the world in a way that's never happened before. And epiphany simply means to reveal, to make known, to show. And during the season following in the few weeks, uh, we've paid particular attention to the gospel passages for what they've shown us about the person and work of Jesus. And so these sort of three movements, the fancy word for that is pericope. If you, if you, you want to kind of impress your friends uh, at work, you know, just start throwing out the pericope, this and that, and they'll, they'll be impressed. Or you'll get a beating. You know, it could go either way. Uh, but there's these three, these three sections there. Definitely say something about who Jesus is. But do you notice that the tone, the kind of thrust of those has as much to do with how we see ourselves. And so there's something that could happen here as we've gone through these last few weeks that we could have had a series of small epiphanies, you know, understanding Jesus better that were merely information. That's not a horrible place to start, you know, who he is, what he's done, that information. But I think we're looking for an epiphany that's more about transformation. It's not merely information about Jesus, but transformation because of Jesus. And so, as we walk through these, these three little sections here, we want to see if there's some transformation that should happen in light of who Christ is, to make sure this epiphany stuff actually is happening. It's not just a hard-to-pronounce word, uh, but it means something. And so he begins there in verse 39 with this metaphor involving logs and specks of dust and stuff. And so I'm curious if anyone here grew up, or maybe even still today, uh, with a house heated with firewood. Anyone have that in their past or present? So firewood. Uh, well, I know you guys never grow tired of me saying that I grew up in northern Maine. Uh, it's a running joke here. But yeah, way at the top, not the sissies down there in Portland, you know, on the coast, but way up there at the top where this, you know, is just a, this is a warm day in May, uh, you know, where winters are, are longer, uh, that's not an exaggeration, that was, but they are longer, colder, you know, about once a winter, Celsius and Fahrenheit line up, you know what happens? Minus 40. And again, not with this kind of sissy wind chill, it's actual temperature, uh, 
So you had to actually anticipate, you had to have a clear vision, if you will, that it's going to get cold eventually if you live in this place. So sometime in the fall, you would begin preparations. And so uh, what sometimes happened, I lived on Griffin Ridge, and there's a bunch of families on the ridge side, and we had potato fields across the way. The families all got together and bought firewood in bulk, which meant this giant dump truck came and actually dumped these big rounds, these logs, in, in my family's driveway, from about that size to around that size, which then meant you had to do something, because unless you have sort of a large pit, you, you got to get those down to size. And so uh, someone rented a, a hydraulic wood splitter, one of, the, one of the dads, my dad, or, you know, Jimmy Nardone and George Robinson Sr., all kind of names, uh, got the big hydraulic wood splitter, which, you know, could crush bone, rend flesh, sever limbs, one of those deals. And then the, you know, the dads on the ridge there proceeded to, uh, to split wood and enjoy an occasional beverage. Till it got to the point where something kicked in that said to them, the beverages we should continue with, but we may want to stop operating this machinery. So then turned to the 11-year-old boys, myself, George McPherson Jr., and Ricky Green, and said, hey, we'll give you guys five bucks each if you finish splitting this wood. Now, again, these are $1982. Um, and did I mention it was a machine that could crush bone, rend flesh, and several limbs. So Ricky and George and myself, we, we went to splitting wood. And then the way you'd, uh, you'd load the wood in to the house, almost invariably it was through this, a cellar window that you'd have to make some wooden chute for to protect it, the, the uh, casing from being all beat to crap there. So you'd, you'd throw the wood down the chute and eventually stack it. And, and just, you handled the wood multiple times, I found, as a, as a young man. There's so many ways I could have gone with that. But I won't. <laughs> yeah. I've been away four weeks, but I haven't completely forgotten myself. So, um, invariably, though, in all the splitting, lugging, moving stuff around, you would get those specks of sawdust, particularly the bark, that would get in your eye and just be incredibly painful. It'd make your eye water and, and it'd just be real scratchy. And so, this imagery that Jesus paints here uh, is what I can kind of see. But it's also, I think, rather humorous. I tend to think Jesus was a funny savior. Um, if you read the Gospels without a whole lot of preconceived notions that, you know, he's some guy in a white terry cloth robe just sort of floating along, but he was actually, yes, fully God, but fully man, raised in a working-class artisan family that, you know, was carpentry and did all that stuff. He knew of logs and specks of dust, Right? Um, but if you read, you know, the parables he tells, the stories, the actions, very sarcastic. I love that I worship a sarcastic God. Uh, um, the satire and those things. But also, Jesus was not above a little bit of slapstick, right? Do you remember the, what was the least funny moment, apart only from the cross and the crucifixion? That betrayal in the garden there and... And things are going crazy. It's like Keystone Cops. It's, it's, you know, the Stooges. Everyone's running around. It's crazy. Peter pulls out the sword, chops off that guy's ear, which is funny enough. But then Jesus reaches down and slaps on the side of his head. That's funny. <laughs> and so this picture he's painting of someone with a, whose prescription is read more in wood grain, you know, with a log in their eye, going to the trouble of picking out specks of dust, it's, it's a funny picture. 
It's ridiculous. And we could laugh at it if it wasn't so painfully true. And so as we're wrapping up this season of epiphany and hoping to see Jesus clearly and and maybe see ourselves more clearly in light of who he is, the starting point is to have a clear vision. And we could get bogged down with all the little minutiae and minor things. You might want to get to that eventually. But I dare say for almost everyone sitting here right now, you know what the one big thing is that obscures your view of God. That's an impediment to understanding God fully. Like you're not confused. And if we take care of that first, you know, then we can be helpful, right? Then you can help some other folks. But honestly, have you ever had to go tell someone they had, they had a little speck of something in their eye? You know, their, their eye's watering, it's bleeding out, but, you know, they're unaware. You ever? No. Everyone, they'll come to you, right? And say, you know, do you see, is there anything there? So deal with the log first. So having a clear vision seems to me the best starting point. And I, and I love the, just the slapstick imagery of the person with the log sort of, you know, as they swing around, everyone ducks because here comes, you know, log boy again. Uh, so a clear vision. And again, Jesus growing up in a carpentry family, he would, that imagery would mean something to him. But then he shifts and picks a, another metaphor, an agricultural one. And just highlight one of those verses again. Verse 43 said, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Pretty straightforward, right? And the fruit he speaks of there, it's, it's a combination of, of how we live and towards others, the words we say. He talks about this idea of what we treasure and hold dear gets expressed, and if it's a good treasure, that comes out. If it's like some cursed pirate's treasure, you know, that'll come out also. I think the progression he's actually making there, or that loop perhaps putting these pieces together, um, is that once you have a clear vision, then you really ought to start looking at yourself, uh, which is, for many of us, a very uncomfortable thing to do, right? And to have an honest assessment of what we see. Now, with the log in the eye and all that stuff, we can't see clearly. But if that's taken care of, it sort of puts us on the hook, doesn't it? We're sort of responsible at that point to then start paying attention. And before we go paying attention to other folks, we may want to see what's going on in us. Is our life fruitful? Is it abundant? Is all the abundance it producing actually good? Or is it abundance of something else? So this one definitely hit home for me for uh, the last several months of, of life. And I've, I've shared this in other, you know, other messages, pieces of this, but um, I don't think I'm going to break down and cry here, uh, though some of you would like to see that. Uh, but if I do, that's okay. Someone will come hug me or something. Because you guys are nice like that. Um, the log in the eye thing, you know, I occasionally have, you know, have some problems with what I see around me. But I think I tend to be, maybe even brutally honest with myself. 
doesn't mean I act on it. Those are different things. Um, that's usually where it falls apart. But these last several months have been some of the most frustratingly busy, yet not terribly fruitful seeming activity in my life. Going into, uh, going into the fall here at Artisan Church, we're, I guess, entering our fifth year as a, as a relatively new church, but really not new anymore, so, so now it's sort of grown-up stuff that we've got to deal with. You know, we're going to buy this building, what do we, you know, kinds of stuff like that, taking risks, a lot of work. That's just already there. Love doing that stuff, called to do it. But some of you may not realize this, and again, this isn't looking for sympathy, but we, uh, the way the staff works... Um, I think was, he's one of the pastors of the three, Mike, Scott, and myself. Uh, there's about a salary and a half worth of paychecks and bonuses and, and paychecks and, uh, and uh, what was I looking for? Uh, that health insurance stuff that they talk about. We have that as well. You know, those benefits, there's the word. And yet we choose to split that three ways. We're not asking for anyone's sympathy because actually it's very healthy financially as a church body. We just... Then as a staff said, why don't we kind of split it out so we can do this as a team? Which then means that we're all essentially bivocational. And our spouses are part of the picture in a way that in a lot of traditional, you know, pastoral roles, that wouldn't be the case. Which then means, you know, to provide for my family, my, my wife Lisa and Jaren and Bryn, you know, that I have to step up with some other areas. So we own real estate, um, you know, because, you know, preachers, we always have to have multiple houses, right? Yeah, no. We, we, own, we own some rental units that, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, we bought right, though, so we're, we're in good shape. Um, so there's all the day-in, day-out stuff of that and the occasional, you know, furnace not working or redoing a bathroom because, you know, the, the tenants complain. And No, they, actually, it was before they got in there, but it was not done before they got in there. That did not happen. Some of the tenants are here tonight. Uh, Lots of work. Starting a, a web design business last year so Lisa could work fully from home on a part-time basis. And that was just a goal. And this fall was just insanely busy. And yet, it didn't feel very fruitful. And for someone who sets a fairly high bar for themselves, very frustrating. And so... But I have to be honest and take an honest look. Has my life been fruitful for a few months? So before we go too negative on that, there probably is some stuff that uh, I shouldn't be proud of, but there's kind of two ways that fruitlessness could happen, as I see it. Jesus, I think, rightly focuses on one, like, like I'm going to disagree with Jesus, but you know, I, I agree with what he did here. I think that was good. Um, he, uh, he focuses on the, this idea of, of barrenness, that there's, there's something genuinely broken and wrong and disconnected so that fruit cannot be produced, or the fruit that is produced is evil, is the, is the term he uses. Um, so there could be that. There's also that lack of fruitlessness that we experience sometimes that's after a season of, of harvest and high production and lots of busy work and, and it needs to lie fallow. And so I want to be, it's only slightly more encouraging. And it is, it's really, it's not. But for some of you that are right now kind of wondering, you know, how fruitful has my life been recently? 
it may be it's a season of fallowness. And there's some work that has to go on beneath the surface, which we'll get to in this last bit here. So, yeah, looking back at how these last few months have gone for me. Oh, you know, and doing other things, kind of ironically, to be recognized fully as a pastor. Well, you know, whatever that means. And it, I think there's some, some things that it means. I don't want to discount that too much. Uh, we are blessed to be part of a, of a strong church family, uh, real healthy, the Evangelical Covenant Church. They're the, they're the family we're a part of. They kind of supported and coached us through those first uh, three years in particular. And we exist because we're part of that. Um, but they, uh, they have ordination like most churches do, which is this permanent credentialing, kind of like being tenured. Those, that's, a, that's a weak analogy. It's a recognition that this is a lifetime calling. And because of that, we won't have to review it every year. <laughs> it's, it's sort of practically how it works. Uh, so having to take classes for that and do interviews and all that stuff. Ironically, the work of being qualified as a pastor really took me out of the game of being a pastor for a few months. Along with all those other things. And so, if I'm going to be honest, have an honest assessment, and look at my life clearly, I have to ask, is this a fruitlessness that's, that's broken, bent, sinful, evil? It'd be impossible for that not to be there in some measure, this side of glory, let's say that. Or is it, you know, a bonus round, a one-up? <laughs> get to go to the secret level now. Um, <laughs> have I been doing some work? And I'm hopeful that that's the case, that I've been doing a lot of churning soil and planting extra seeds that I hope will be more fruitful eventually. But here's the danger in that. Here's why that's not always good news. could be very easy to just say, I'm worn out. I deserve a longer break. And maybe this whole calling thing is not all it's cracked up to be. And that could be the case for if you're a, you know, a harried mom, you know, a dad who's struggling with something, a college student, a single person who wishes they were married, a married person that wishes they were single. It could be all, it could be all those things that you're working through. But whatever you discover it should be with honesty that you approach that stuff. And I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at. That you should make an honest assessment. We should do that as a church. For those who've been around for a while, has this been a fruitful season since September? How to measure that? What are, the, what are the metrics? Is it, you know, how many chairs we have to put out? Is it how the budget's doing, or is it actual changed lives? Is relationships are stronger, or are they more strained? Are marriages being nurtured, or are they being pulled apart? Yeah. Keep that one in your head for a while. Talk about that in a moment. But then Jesus finishes up in this section we're looking at. And shifts metaphors again to one of building. 
one of working with your hands, putting something together. He says in verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord? <laughs> it's like that annoying kid in class, right? You know, you know pay attention to me, teacher, teacher. You know, and, and yet they, they don't really kind of go along with the program a whole lot. And she says, why are you always asking for my attention, but not actually doing what I tell you? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. That one is like a man building a house who dug deeply and laid a foundation. And so I think the final piece of this this sort of progression Jesus is making is you know, have that clear vision and, and remove anything that gets in the way, to have that honest assessment of our own fruitfulness and, and certainly the church community we, we may be a part of, and then look at whether or not what we're building it all on, our own life, our family, a church artisan, what's the foundation there? And are we really digging deeply? So it might not be a surprise to, to many of you, but I like to start things. Notice I didn't say middle or finish them, but I like to start them. That's why I've been called to be a church planter. I, I'm sure there's whatever many years left God gives me, there'll be, there'll be more of that in store, hopefully as, as a piece of what he's doing here at Artisan. But I love starting stuff. Saw a need in my family's life uh, to make a source of income so Lisa could be at home. Started a web design business, you know, last year. Almost replaced my income here or matched, you know. I love doing stuff like that. Which means I'm not terribly patient with the below-the-surface stuff. I'd just soon slap it together. You can be honest. Have any of you noticed that about me? I would rather see the frame go up and, you know, and slap it all together, put a roof on it, and then a light breeze. It may do this a little bit, but, you know, we're okay as long as things are okay, which usually they are. That's why they're called, you know, catastrophes and, you know, acts of God and unexpected, you know. That's why we have insurance for the unexpected. Uh, But eventually, those storms come crashing in, and if it's been slapped together whether it's our own life or a whole church community, it will go down hard. So let's pause for a moment. How are we doing with that? It's kind of unfair to those who are here for the first time. So tell us what you think about artists. I won't make you do that. Uh, how strong a foundation are we on? One way to measure that would be to look kind of over these last three, four, five years, and say, have there been times when stuff's come crashing against us and has it withstood? I would say there are at least one and a half, maybe two, significant storms that have come our way. And someone encouraged me to know that we're still standing, that we did weather those. And so at least some core piece of what's going on here seems to be built on a sure foundation of, of Christ and his grace and his sacrifice, his leadership, his word, his spirit at work in our lives, his community of people. But past performance 
You've heard that phrase. There's, there's no guarantee of future proof, you know. And especially, you may have something built on a foundation, but then it just seems like a good idea to, let's throw it in an extra room on this deal. Let's put an addition on it. You have a permit for that? Eh, no. We just want to get an addition built. And so there's a possibility that we as a church have slapped some things together, right? That maybe we didn't dig deeply. I just want to put that out there. That, that may be the case on a few areas. Because as I look back, and I don't know if this would be encouraging or discouraging, I, I would say Mike and Scott and myself, and this includes your leadership team too, Scott Ashley, Scott Cranfield, um, Am I missing any Scots there? Uh, Heidi, Anna. I hope I said everyone. Seven of us. Um, we're not unaware when things are not going well. Again, whether we feel any ability to make that turn around or not, that's sometimes a different story. But I think the log in the eye issue and the honest assessment, that, that goes on. Sometimes maybe too much. Okay, there's navel-gazing that I'm guilty of, of, of just going way too deep into an issue. Um, but I think an honest assessment of these last few months is that it has not been the most fruitful season of Artisan's life. And so go back to that question. Has it been a time of barrenness? because there's things that are wrong or a time of foulness because man we just produced and produced and produced for five years straight how many would say it's probably a mix of those yeah fortunately there's another metaphor that's used when you just have to take care of some of the things that are broken and bent and and uh and outside God's will, that's that pruning metaphor, right? And I know in my own heart, in my own life, I'm so glad that some of that busyness, most of that busyness is done. And in some ways, doing that was a pruning process. You just get those things out of the way. And there may be some pruning to go in your life. I think there is here at Artisan. I don't think it's overhaul or wholesale change. But I also think, as a church plant led by kind of driven people. Again, it's my su- surprising anyone with my words there. Uh, by people who are driven to produce and be fruitful, that, man, it's about time that we laid fallow for a little bit. And so to use that time wisely, though, requires digging deeper. It's not glamorous. It's not sexy. Uh, it's hard work. And it looks an awful lot like digging a hole. What's the first rule of holes? Stop digging. Unless you're laying a foundation. And then it's dig deeper. And so as I mentioned, we're not, haven't been unaware. So somewhat subversively, I'll admit, we've tried to do some deeper digging. From going through... This may be an ironic statement. The whole Old Testament in a flannel graph, as you see up here, that's deeper. Take my word for it if you weren't here for that. Um, to, uh, to spending this time here in Epiphany with the scripture readings, the pastoral prayer. We mentioned to you several weeks back that prayer, we 
suck at prayer. Hard working crew, but we don't often pause to pray. That doesn't mean there's not some wonderful people of prayer, thank God, that are part of this. Um, but man, that is not our go-to gift and calling. And so looking at that, uh, getting deeply into the scriptures, paying attention to how the small group relationships and, and those opportunities exist, and somewhat being frustrated with how to change things that, that worked really well when we were a church of under 100 and work very poorly when you keep bouncing to that 150 range. And no surprise, we have retracted from that because God's not going to bring folks here that we can't care for. Which means if you're here tonight, we can care for you. He wouldn't have brought you. No. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Could be we desperately uh, needed you. Though we'd rather not sound desperate. Uh, it's always hard. You're welcome, but we're not desperate. Let's just put it that way. We're desperate. Uh, I have no idea what's going with that. So let's just wrap up. In this next season, uh, that the calendar, the Christian history calendar, all those things gives us, I think it's going to be a wonderful time to do that deeper digging. To, again, not have the impediments of, of the big logs. To pay attention to the fact that there's different seasons of fruitfulness and different causes of it not being there and to prune the things that need to go away. And let me be clear, pruning does not include people. Uh, I don't want that to be misunderstood. It may be painful for some people, including your staff, to go through some pruning stuff, but we're not talking about if we only got rid of that guy, Ken, over there, then things would be okay. (laughs) They would not be okay. They'd go from bad to worse if we got rid of Ken. Um, But they're not that bad in many ways, but they're not as good as they should be. So there's some pruning to do. There's also some rest and rejuvenation that my short time away, even though I was still way too busy, just in a different setting, let me know that we all need that as a church. And so here's my big ask, the K. This is a 5 p.m. service, rated M for mature. If there's one thing I would ask us to do as a church community and those who are checking things out, those who aren't even sure there is a God, but for some crazy reason you're here anyways, because uh, you like the people or the music or because there is a God uh, and you're here anyways, uh, this Wednesday starts our season of Lent. And in fact, why don't you bring that slide up? Is up uh, I think Elliot is up there. No one's up there. Cranfield's got it. It's way at the end. Bring up that Ash Wednesday slide there. This Wednesday night, I would really encourage you to be here. Because I mentioned that we've been really bad at prayer. This is going to kick off our, and you don't solve things with series, um, but it's a, it's a good starting point for us, a prayer series where we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to practice it during worship and in other settings, uh, the prayer room. We're going to have a room dedicated to prayer. You know, we're, you know, for a church that also has a room dedicated to brewing beer, for, I may have just solved some questions for you for those who are visiting, good or bad. You know, we've got to have a room dedicated to prayer also. 
It is down there. Are you talking about, but the beer, the beer is not ready. The prayer room is. That, <laughs> anyway, down at the end of the hall. Um, but every few weeks, we do a style of call, we call immersed, which is more interactive, more experiential, less linear, more self-paced. And it is often a powerful time. And I would love to see, because we have two congregations almost, in essence. Those who come for the morning worship gathering, those who come for the evening. This would be a great chance to have some of that crossover. But also, it would be a recognition that we need to be in this stuff together. And so, if you're having surgery, uh, you know, your gram's in the hospital, uh, you have a shift at work you can't get out of, those are really good excuses. Anything short of that is a poor excuse. Um, it really is. Uh, so show up. <laughs> I got nothing else. Just, just show up. Between 6.30 and 7.30, any time in there, and it takes about 40 minutes, so 8 o'clock is sort of a soft ending there. But just show up and begin the season of wanting to see clearly, have an honest assessment of yourself, and for those who are part of an investing artisan, what's going on here, and begin the unglamorous work of digging deeper. And if you do that, I think that'll be a place where God can speak to some of the other issues that may have come to mind here tonight. Is that okay if I ask you guys to do that? We good? I've been away for four weeks, so, you know, who am I, right? I'll be there. I'll be the guy with the ashes, uh, or one of them. Uh, So with that, let's pray. God, we are so grateful and thankful for your word that as uh, as Isaiah said, uh, as we read from tonight, as it goes out, it does not come back empty, uh, but produces fruitful lives. In my prayer, my pastoral prayer, my prayer as a friend and a fellow traveler, is that you would help each of us see clearly, have a clear vision, have that epiphany that's not merely information about Jesus, but brings about transformation because of who Jesus is in our lives. And so whatever the big thing is that's in the way of that, and we know it, help us be honest enough to turn it over to you. Lean into your grace to remove that log from our eye. And then give us the courage to make an honest assessment. Whether whether that fruit of the Spirit, for instance, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Are those abundant in our lives? Are they absent? To do the same for the church family that many of us here are part of, here at Artisan. And then to do the hard work, the the beneath-the-surface work that we have to build on. Help us dig deeply through time in your word, through time in prayer, through time spent together, encouraging each other, challenging each other, giving each other a swift kick and a big hug. Whatever's needed for the moment, help us dig deeper for our, for our own selves as we seek to obey you and as a church. And I pray you'd bring us together in a powerful way throughout the evening Wednesday 
throughout the scriptures, you see those times where God's people, where your people, God, came together and made sacrifices of time and convenience and did nothing but seek your face. And powerful stuff happened on the other side of that. Let that be the story that unfolds this week. And now, God, as we begin to turn towards your table, that Thanksgiving table, the Eucharist, uh, this wonderful symbol of all we've looked at tonight, of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, who brings us sight when we are in so many ways blind, who nourishes us so we can be fruitful, and who is the sure foundation that we can build a life on. I pray that as we approach the table, those who are seeking after you, Jesus, as we tear the bread and dip it in the wine of the juice, that we would take that into our bodies as a physical act and as a spiritual act, as a source of nourishment for the body and strength for the soul. Because digging deeply is hard work. And apart from your grace and strength, we won't be up to the task. And so strengthen us at your table of grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, as the, as the band starts to make their way up, and uh, if you guys want to grab communion uh, first, feel free to. Um, the communion will be open for the remainder of our worship time. If that's something you're not sure you're welcome to be part of, it's okay to be prayerful and thoughtful you know, where you're at. But... If you're simply seeking to follow after Jesus, that's how high I think the bar is set. Um, if you're not in that place yet, don't feel like you have to go through the motions. But if you're sort of right at the edge of making that decision, that'd be a great first step. And if you want to talk and pray with someone, myself, uh, Scott Ashley, uh, Anne in the back, they're on the leadership team. Uh, I don't know if Cranfield will be playing, but he's around. Or just a trusted friend here. There's lots of good people here you could talk and share what's going on in your life with. So I want to encourage you to do that and to continue worshiping as God leads you. Sound good? The table is... has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.